Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Join us every other Wednesday when we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science, as well as the ins and outs of Good Dog and how our platform can help you successfully run your breeding program. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Good Dog Pod. This is Dr. Michael Delgado, your host for today. And today our guest is Abby Johnson. She's a dog trainer who offers services in the Atlanta area through Positive Futures. As a lifelong animal lover, Abby's career with dogs really began when she graduated from Auburn University in 2018 with a bachelor's degree in psychology, and she began working at an animal shelter in the Atlanta area. This hands-on work with dogs with varying behavioral needs and backgrounds inspired her to return to her original path of pursuing dog training and behavior modification professionally. After spending many hours shadowing and mentoring under different positive reinforcement-based trainers in her area, Abby passed her examination to receive her CPDT-KA, which stands for Certified Professional Dog Trainer Knowledge Assessed. Although Abby thoroughly enjoys working with dogs of all sizes, ages, and breeds, she has a special love for helping people better understand and care for their small breed dogs. Abby is also Good Dog's official puppy coach, managing our Facebook group for new Good Dog puppy buyers and answering all the puppy questions. Now, if you're a Good Dog breeder, your buyers receive free access to the puppy training program if they choose to pay our protection and support fee when they make their full dog payment through Good Dog. And all of the breeders in our Good Dog community also receive free access to our puppy training program. It's one of our new breeder benefits. And you may want to check out the puppy training program before recommending it to your buyers, and we definitely encourage you to do so. We are very happy today to have Abby on the podcast. And of course, we're very happy to have her as our puppy coach all the time. And I'm just really excited to chat with you today, Abby. So welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. All right. So let's start with, I think one thing that intrigued me about your background and interest is just your focus on puppies and small breed dogs. So yeah, why did you kind of choose those two groups as your focus? So I feel really passionately about helping people with puppies specifically, just because puppies are in some form or another, they are what we want to shape our dogs into as adults. So however we want to see our dogs behave as adults or the kind of temperament, the kind of personality or the kind of activities we want to do with adults, we need to start in puppyhood so that we don't get to a point where we wait for behavior problems to develop. So it's really, really important to proactively train and proactively get really interested in developing the well-adjusted adult dog that you want right away, starting in puppyhood. The dog of the future. Yes, absolutely. And so it's something that I feel really passionately about because I like to kind of promote that idea that waiting until you see a problem is not really where we want to start. We want to start before we even see a problem at all. So starting through like positive socialization and just starting with a lot of foundational life skills with puppies is a really, really good way to start and set yourself up for success. Okay. I really like to work with small breed dogs specifically just because (laughs) I have my own. So they're my passion. And I think sometimes they're left out of the training conversation whenever it comes to dog training. So it's just something that I feel really passionately about making sure that they are kind of in the spotlight too, alongside our large breed dogs who are a little bit more obvious whenever they have a behavioral issue as opposed to a small dog who's a little bit less 
assuming. <laughs> it makes me think of when I lived downstairs from someone who had untrained chihuahuas and they yeah. were very cute and sweet, but they would also bite the backs of my pant legs. Yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, we kind of shrugged it off. But yeah, are small breed dogs really different from other larger breed dogs? Or is it just that we treat them differently? It's more so that we treat them differently than anything else. Obviously, there are a couple of different breed groups whenever it comes to small breed dogs. You know, you have terrier groups and then you have more like companion toy breeds. And especially with those toy breeds, companion breeds, that's usually what people think of whenever they think of like a yappy, angry chihuahua or, you know, (laughs) some kind of small dog that has some sort of behavioral issue. But in reality, they are supposed to be our companions. They're supposed to be very human focused. Their purpose is to provide us companionship. So it is definitely a little bit concerning and alarming to me whenever I see small breed dogs who are not (laughs) necessarily doing so well at that job. So it's definitely how a lot of people treat them for sure, because they're very similar to large breed dogs. There's really no like cognitive emotional difference between a small dog and a large dog. They're all trainable. They are all going to communicate in similar ways. A small breed dog just may communicate in more overstated ways just because they're compensating for the fact that they're very small and the world is very large around them, including us. (laughs) So It's one of those things where, in general, they are just the same as every other dog. They just need a little bit more consideration whenever it comes to making sure that we're not being overly rough with them, we're not Mm. invading their space, and we're giving them as much choice as possible in their day-to-day interactions, especially in training as well. And so usually once you do that, you'll start to see some really, really great adjustments in your small dog's behavior. (laughs) Excellent. So since you mentioned training, let's talk about positive reinforcement. What is it and why should we be using this training method with our dogs? So positive reinforcement is predominantly how I train, especially with the training certifications that I hold. We are held to a hierarchy of ethics whenever it comes to training. Positive reinforcement training is essentially any kind of training method or methodology that focuses more on setting your dog up for success, finding ways to reinforce the behavior that you want or reward the behavior that you want. And then in theory, as you continue to reinforce that behavior and as you continue to put, I like to call it deposits into their bank account, right? Every single time you reward them for something that you like, they're going to choose that behavior more often and they're going to be more likely to choose that behavior whenever you really need it outside of those training setups. So I really, really like positive reinforcement training a lot. It's a very great way to build a really good relationship with your dog as well, because it's more of a two-way communication as opposed to just using kind of like do it because I said so kind of mindset whenever it comes to training. So it can be really, really fun and really rewarding for both the dog and the dog handler. Okay. And really the thinking is that you give the dog something that is reinforcing to them when they do a behavior you like. So that might be treats. Yeah. Happy talk or (laughs) what else do dogs like? (laughs) It can usually be treats. That's what I usually find to be the most accessible and the easiest way to reinforce your dog. But positive reinforcement can really be anything. So whenever we're talking about the quadrants of operant conditioning, positive reinforcement just means that you're adding something to increase the likelihood of the behavior happening again. So if you're adding treats to the situation in whatever training situation that is where treats are desirable to that dog, then obviously that's a great way to reinforce their behavior. But you can also use life rewards. So something that I like to do a lot whenever I am For example, teaching a dog to wait at door thresholds, right, Mm -hmm. instead of dashing up the front door. The reward in itself is getting to go outside. 
So once I've taught the behavior a little bit with treats and food, I can then fade that food and just have getting released to go outside become the reward in itself. Yeah. And there's some dogs that are really toy motivated, especially like herding breeds. (laughs) A lot of those (laughs) dogs are very, very toy driven and you can kind of build on that toy drive or that desire to play tug with you or that desire to throw the tennis ball. All of those things can be really valuable reinforcers for dogs. So it does not have to be treats, although treats are very common. I like treats. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So through your own practice as a dog trainer and as the puppy coach, what would you say are the most common concerns that people encounter with their new puppies? Yes. So a lot of really common topics that we end up discussing in our puppy training group have to do with, first of all, potty training, because that usually happens right as soon as you get home. It is a very in-your-face issue that happens very commonly, right? Right. So that is definitely something we talk about a lot, setting everybody up for potty training success. Most of that just has to do with sticking to a really specific routine, making sure that criteria is really, really clear for the puppy. So we're not just going outside to run around and go crazy and then come inside and remember we have to pee. (laughs) So just kind of setting our puppies up for success in that way, capturing the behavior whenever we see it and it's the right thing that we want and making sure that it's really clear to the puppy that that's the right thing we want them to do. Alongside potty training, I see a lot of discussion around puppy mouthiness, puppy Mm. biting. That's also a very (laughs) in-your-face issue as soon as you get home. So that is something that I kind of approach from like a multifaceted way instead of just saying like step one, step two, step three, now you have a puppy that doesn't bite. Right. So that's something we talk about a lot in our group. And we also talk about a lot of basics that are just going to be really valuable skills for puppies to have as they get older. So we're going to talk about positive socialization and making Mm -hmm. sure that our socialization is high quality as opposed to just really high quantity. And then we're also going to talk about basics like teaching puppies how to settle down, how to relax on a mat, how to walk nicely on a leash, all those kind of good, fun basics that you would want in an adult dog that's going to be well adjusted for day to day life. Right. So it sounds like lots of excellent content on the puppy training program, but also, like you said, these are the things you see over and over again with someone with a new puppy. And so when should someone seek out help of a professional trainer? Say you bring your puppy home. Potty training's a little hit or miss at first. Maybe you kind of think you know what you're doing, but you're not seeing the progress you want. Or should you just see a dog trainer even if you don't have problems? You know, I think some yeah. people don't even think about training their dogs, right? And so yeah, for sure. maybe it's fine when they're puppies, but should you be thinking like you said, in the long term, when would you recommend someone seek out help? Yeah, obviously, because I am a trainer full time. This is what I do for a living. And I feel really passionately about it. I am always of the mindset that proactive training is always going to be more successful than reactive training. So before you even see signs of problems, if you just want to make sure that you are on the right track with your dog, or you're seeing sort of some problems, but you're not really sure if your puppy's going to grow out of it or not, For the most part, they're not going to grow out of it. (laughs) I'll just tell you that now. (laughs) So it's really better to either at the first sign of trouble or if you're not entirely sure if you're doing things the best way for your specific puppy in your specific situation, reach out to a trainer. And even if you don't have any issues and you just want to make sure that you have a nice, well-adjusted, well-mannered dog, reach out to a trainer. There's tons of different opportunities and there's tons of different types of services that you can usually find something that's going to apply to you in your situation. Group puppy classes are a really great way to kind of dip your toe into training Uh, and just kind of see 
if you're on the right track, also make sure your puppy's getting those quality experiences in like a distracting environment with other people, dogs, other things going on in that group class setting. Okay. Now I have a question about the puppy classes. So I think people will hear a lot about safety and vaccinations and Mm -hmm. your puppy should live in a bubble for (laughs) first X months or whatever. (laughs) So how should people approach taking their puppy to a class before they've had, say, all of their parvovirus vaccinations? Yeah, it's definitely a very real and very legitimate concern. In terms of puppy classes or like puppy socialization, anything that involves needing to take your dog out of the house before Mm -hmm. they've had their full set of vaccinations. I personally follow the position statement by the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior. They have one. You can literally, if you just Google ABSAB puppy socialization position statement, it'll be the first result that comes up. We can drop that in our show notes too, so people can check it out. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's usually what I follow whenever it comes to puppy socialization, which to like sum all of it up, it's really detailed. You should still read it. But to sum it all up, basically, the risks versus benefits to taking your puppy out and socializing them even before they've had all of their vaccines is a lot bigger. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot more benefits than there are risks. And Behavioral issues with under-socialized dogs as they become adults is a really significant factor in today's pet dog. So it's basically like you can do it really carefully and really mindfully, but it is still important to do so. So if you're looking at a puppy class and your puppies not finished their vaccines and they still allow you to bring those puppies before they finished, I would just ask them a few questions about you know, is this going to be held inside of a facility, right? Is this going to be held in the lobby of a vet's office if they don't have a facility? That's what I see a lot of trainers do and make sure that they have proper sanitation practices. If you're feeling a little bit nervous about their contact with other puppies, you can always select a puppy class that doesn't involve direct one-on-one play with the rest of the classmates because some include that, some don't. So there's a bunch of different things that you can do for that. But in general, it is worth it, especially if you do it mindfully, do it carefully. It is definitely worth it in terms of just making sure that your puppy is getting that quality socialization that they need before that early socialization window closes. Okay. So really sounds like ask whoever's leading the class some good questions about what they're doing to protect the class attendees from parvovirus. If they don't have a good answer, go somewhere else. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Great. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back. Did you know that pet scams accounted for about 18% of online shopping frauds this past year, costing consumers more than $2 million? Good Dog is here to change that. Payment on Good Dog is the secure payment platform that breeders and buyers deserve. Unlike other options, Payment on Good Dog is built to give breeders and buyers peace of mind by providing protection and support every step of the way. Exclusively available to members of our Good Breeder community, Payment on Good Dog is completely free for breeders to use. Buyers can also use Payment on Good Dog completely for free or choose to pay a small optional fee to access additional benefits. We guarantee your payment against chargebacks, cancellations, and fraud, all while providing a seamless and easy payment experience from start to finish. With protected payments, easy invoicing, payment verification, and centralized records. So you can focus on what matters most, connecting with amazing Good Dog applicants and getting your puppies off to their new homes. Get started today by applying to join our Good Breeder community at gooddog.com slash join. Okay, and you mentioned one of the most common puppy issues is mouthiness. So why do puppies bite and how can we either prevent or stop this behavior? I'm assuming that 
puppies bite for a reason. And so maybe it's a natural behavior, but yeah, what can people do? (laughs) Yes. So puppies bite because puppies are puppies and they're really non-scientific answer right there. (laughs) But yes, it's a biologically appropriate behavior for puppies to bite. Many different reasons that you'll see significant biting with your puppy. The first one is going to be the breed of puppy that you chose. Mm. A lot of puppies are going to show a lot of breed specific traits, even in puppyhood. So if you have like a retriever or a Mm. herding breed, breeds that are more inclined to use their mouth or are purpose bred for using their mouth, you're probably going to see that mouthy behavior even in early puppyhood. Other reasons, puppies before they came to your house, whenever they were living with their litter mates, they communicated with their mouths. So that's all they know how to do at this point. They also explore the world with their mouths. You're going to pick up on that really fast if you take a puppy home and all of a sudden they're picking up every single item off of your floor and trying to chew it to see what it is. So it's very, very biologically appropriate for puppies to use their mouths to communicate and to explore the world around them. So it's not necessarily one of those issues that I say we're going to eradicate in a week or we're going to totally get rid of it if you just do this, this and this. So I like to kind of approach it more holistically instead. I use a lot of management whenever I have a puppy at home. So that means dividing your house up with baby gates so that you always have a barrier to step behind if you need to. Using X-Pens, if your puppy is comfortable in a crate only, short periods, crate time whenever they need some downtime to calm down if they're getting really excited and mouthy. All of those kind of things are going to be really, really helpful for somebody who is struggling with mouthiness because... In the overarching way to address this is in the moment, if your puppy is biting you, you need to get up and remove yourself. So that's usually a great way to communicate to them that if they're going to put teeth on you for attention-seeking reasons, they're Mm -hmm. trying to communicate with you and it hurts, you're going to get up and leave, which is not what they wanted. (laughs) As soon as they (laughs) calm down from there, you can go back in and you can ask them to do something different. You can redirect them onto a toy. I really, really like flirt poles as a great way to play with toys with puppies. Because it's a really good way to still engage with them, still give them something to put their mouth on, but it keeps your hands and your feet and your body clothing, all of it away from their mouth. So they're less likely to look at the toy, look at your hand that's holding the toy and be like, I'm going to bite your hand instead. So I really, really like those. And I recommend those a lot for people who just want to play with their puppies or just want to get some energy out, but they don't want to just get gnawed up the entire time. (laughs) So I really like to do things like that. I also like to teach puppies how to eat a treat scatter. So whenever puppies are having kind of like an emotional based biting moment, like they're biting on you because it's the end of the day, they're overstimulated, they're overtired, something really exciting happened, or they really need a nap, but they're not recognizing that they need to put themselves to bed. In those kind of situations, I'll teach them to eat a treat scatter to redirect their mouth and their attention off of me and instead onto the floor into sniffing and eating, which helps nice. them calm down and regulate a little bit as well. Yeah. Sounds like we shouldn't take it personally though. If they're no, definitely us. do not. Do okay. not take it personal. And if your puppy is really mouthy, it's not very common that puppy mouthiness is an abnormal behavior. Okay. Yeah. So I usually don't want people to worry that their puppy is really mouthy or bitey unless we're getting to a point where they're passing the adolescent stage, they're going into adulthood, and they're still at those same levels of mouthiness, or they're still biting for specific reasons or really overexcited, and they use their teeth to communicate. In that kind of situation, I would say seek professional training to make sure that that issue doesn't continue into adulthood, because it should start to fade and kind of wane off as they get older and older. Great. Thanks. All right, well, let's bust a few canine myths. Okay. 
those of us who've worked in the behavior field for a while are very familiar with this issue. But I think for a lot of dog owners, there's still a lot of information floating out there and it's hard to tease apart what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. And I think people are still pretty confused about this concept of alpha and whether or not they need to be the boss of their dog or dominate their dog. Can you explain what the current thinking is on this whole alpha mess? Yes, definitely. (laughs) That is something I run into very commonly. It is still very, very common amongst just like society in general, not necessarily even like pet people, but just people in general that an alpha exists or, you know, your dog is being dominant for some reason or other. So all of that originated from a study done on captive unrelated wolves that I want to say was either the 1920s or the 1930s. So a really long time ago. And the researcher studied their behavior and kind of determined that there was an alpha in the group because there was one dog that was controlling everybody else's resources and behavior and all that kind of stuff. That was very quickly debunked just because the wolf social grouping was not natural at all because they were all unrelated. So they were all behaving and communicating in completely unnatural ways. Even the researcher himself that developed that study and came to that conclusion went back later and was like, never mind, I was totally wrong. (laughs) So sadly, everybody didn't get that part of the news. They just kind of heard the first part and it's stuck in pop culture since then. But while dominance does exist in animal social groupings. It is not what we think it is. It doesn't translate to human-dog relationships, and dog-dog relationships are actually very fluid whenever we look at them. So there's never specifically one dog that is on top or in control of every situation at all times. It completely changes depending on the context in which they're interacting. So We do not adhere to dominance-based training methods anymore. Modern dog trainers now lean more towards positive reinforcement-based methods because we've seen a lot of studies come out since then that have been peer-reviewed and have been fully confirmed by additional studies going beyond those initial studies that positive reinforcement training is really effective and it's a really great way to show your dog what you want without having to damage your relationship or there be potential for escalating aggression issues or fear-based issues because those dominance-based training methods can instill a lot of fear and discomfort in our dogs and can actually damage the relationship with us. And so you may have a dog that didn't used to bite, but now bites because they're afraid of what is going to happen to them. So we very much so stay away from dominance-based training methods. Okay, great. (laughs) And what about socialization? I mean, we talked briefly about classes and vaccines, but I think another thing that got drilled into people's heads, I certainly heard it a bunch, was that your puppy needs to meet 100 people in their first three months. What's your take? Is that fact or fiction? It is fiction, in my opinion. Okay. (laughs) So I am a lot more concerned about my dog having high quality interactions with other people than I care about them having a high quantity of interactions with other people. Okay. Yeah. So I would be a lot happier if I was raising a puppy and that puppy got to meet 10 people in their early socialization window that were all really positive experiences. And my puppy was really having a good time. They were playing with these people. These people were respecting my puppy's face and making sure that they weren't crowding my puppy or getting in their face Mm. and scaring them. So that would be a much better socialization experience to me than if I was just passing my puppy around to every person (laughs) who wanted to meet them. Crossing them off on the list. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And puppies are cute and everybody in public is going to try to come up to you and talk to you and see they can hold and pet your puppy. But if my puppy was nervous or didn't really have a great experience with 75 of those 100 people, 
it's not necessarily quality socialization to me. So in those kind of situations, I worry a lot more about the experiences that they're having being high quality than I am high quantity. Great. Okay. Yeah. So before we wrap up today, can you tell us a little bit about your two adorable dogs, Pocket and Phoebe? I can see totally. one of yeah. them was just with you. Over here. Okay. They get a little antsy after I've been on the phone for a while and Pocket wants to come up now. Okay. <laughs> so Pocket is my newest addition. So she is a Chihuahua mix maybe, but mm -hmm. more Chihuahua than anything else for sure. And I adopted her as an adult from a nearby animal control while I was still working as a shelter employee. Okay. And so part of my job was to drive out to other animal controls and pull dogs from the animal controls to bring to our shelter and found her at one of them and decided that she was far too cute and I was going to keep her for myself. She and my other dog Phoebe just hit it off. So Nice. This is how she's here now. <laughs> and then Phoebe is my other dog. She's a Chihuahua Terrier mix. I actually got her Embark tested, so she's more Terrier oh. than anything else. Oh, interesting. Different terrier breeds. Yeah. <laughs> she looks very Chihuahua, though. And she is three-legged, so she's a little tripod. Yeah. And she also was a shelter adoption for me. I foster failed her, took her in while she was recovering from her amputation surgery and decided she needed to stay. Excellent. So, She's my girl who has a few more behavior issues. She's definitely got some reactivity kind of issues, mm. and she's a little suspicious of new people and new dogs, but she does really, really well with training, and she loves training, so she even becomes like my demonstration dog now sometimes, nice. too. Very she's, nice. She's awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Abby, for joining us today. For our listeners, we will be bringing Abby back to the Good Dog Pod in the near future to answer your puppy questions. So please be sure to subscribe to the Good Dog Pod so you don't miss a single episode. And thank you all for being here today. And thank you again, Abby, for joining us. Yeah, no problem. I've loved it. Thank you for listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So be sure to subscribe to the Good Dog Pod on your favorite podcast platform.